Hello and welcome to episode four of the Stress Sessions. In this week's episode, I'm speaking to an occupational psychologist, an award-winning author who has been offering help to frontline NHS employees that want to talk through coping techniques, stress and anxiety throughout the global pandemic. It was so interesting to talk to somebody that's actually been able to see the devastation that this pandemic has caused at first hand particularly because I know there are lots of people out there who still think that COVID-19 is a conspiracy theory. Let me tell you now, it really isn't. In other news, the stress sessions recently hit 3,000 downloads, which is amazing. I honestly didn't think that that many people would listen to my experiences and what I have to say. Thanks to everybody who's downloaded, listened to and shared the podcast. I'm so thankful and grateful to you all. I recently put up a post on social media to express my feelings to celebrate the occasion, if that's what we want to call it. And I just want to say that although I'm doing these podcasts and I'm trying to help people speak about mental health honestly and openly without judgment, I'm still a work in progress myself. I have bad days, sometimes really bad days, and I see a counsellor every week to speak about my problems. I'm still very much living from anxiety and depression, and I'm not ashamed to say that, but I'm getting the help and I want to try and make myself slightly better. What I'm trying to say is there's no judgment here. I'm a pretty open book. Anyway, that's enough of my rambling for now. Went on for a little bit there. Here's the stress sessions with Fiona Murden. And just a quick warning, the start is a little bit jumbled because my wife got locked out of the house and I had to interrupt the interview. So yeah, it's a little bit higgledy piggledy at the start, but it gets better. So yeah. Here's the stress sessions. Thank you so much for coming on um, and thanks for your time and welcome to the Stress Sessions. It's nice to meet you, like properly, rather than yeah, on yeah. social media. So I guess, I guess to start with, um, for, for people that might not know who you are and what you do, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, okay. So I, I'm a psychologist. I'm an occupational psychologist. So initially, I... I went off to university to study psychology with the intention of becoming a clinical psychologist. And um, when I was at university, I actually had uh, really serious mental health issues myself, which I'm only just talking about um, publicly. Um, And I just thought, I don't think I could cope with helping other people given the the way I was and, and the form I was in. And so I did a business master's and went to work in management consultancy, which everyone said to me, oh, Fiona, it's not you. So I thought, yeah, I'll do that. Um, (laughs) And I just found the whole time it was the people, people, people that I was interested in. And I just got drawn back to psychology. So I, well, I traveled the world actually on my own for a year, did lots of snowboarding. I love snowboarding and surfing and went back to that job, um, quit 
and went and did my MSc in occupational psychology. So the occupational bit was because it meant I could focus more on the, not always positive, but less on the negative. Um, and it's not that I'm not interested in the negative, I really am. And I don't say negative, the, the, the tougher side, I should say. I have so much admiration for clinical psychologists, clinicians, psychotherapists, all that. Um, and I ended up, because of the experience I'd had in management consultancy, working predominantly with leaders. But then I found with, with that, I was constantly thinking, well, one of the reasons I wanted to do psychology was to give back. And whilst it's nice to give back to a leader and you know it's going to have some impact on the people they're leading, I wanted to do something that felt a bit more direct, mm -hmm. which is why I've written two books. The first one was the aim was to try and give what I did with leaders to a broader audience. But a friend of mine who teaches underprivileged kids went, Fiona, no one in these sorts of schools are going to read that. And I was like, mm, that's a good point. And so the second book is much more around, well, it's, it's still the neuroscience. It's neuroscience behind um, role modeling and how we learn from other people. Um, but the point of it is to try and build some pragmatic um, work off the back of it, which is starting to happen now with, um, with a, one charity in particular that, that works with 10% of comprehensive schools in the UK. So that's fantastic. Do you think that theory begins from birth or do you think that that only happens when you hit a particular age? Well, you know, the mechanisms are really complex and there's a lady called Celia Hayes at Oxford who believes that, for example, if you take empathy, empathy is there's still disagreement as to whether we're born with that capability, which then develops or whether that capability is triggered when we're born. So there's all these sort of chicken and egg situations. But one thing's for definite, and that is that our capability to be empathic develops from the moment we're born. And that is through interactions initially with our caregivers, our parents, um, people who, you know, there's, there's huge number of smiles go between a mother and a child or a caregiver and a child, uh, a baby. And those are all information for the brain to start developing those mechanisms. So, it, yeah, it starts from when we're born. It continues to when we die. And that's the bit I think we often neglect to focus on we think that once we're past a certain age you know we're not influenced by other people and actually losing the conscious awareness of the fact that we are being majorly influenced by other people takes it away from us the power almost away from us so I think there's a lot there's a lot to be said about what I would call natural learning um, and natural learning throughout life yeah, because that surprises me that you, I, I get the whole empathy thing of when you're born, because there's there's a lot of nonverbal communication between a mother and a child. So that it seems correct. And do you think that so in terms of kind of mental illness, would you say that that is passed down a family or do you think that that is just solely based on life experiences and the upbringing of a particular child in a particular surrounding? Well, I think, again, there's not it's this nature nurture thing there's different that we're getting closer to understanding how much is genetic disorders like bipolar can be passed down genetically um depression anyone can suffer from depression the severity of it may alter depending on circumstances or genetic dispositions so for example if we were to take something that's more 
it was less severe. So just everyday mental well-being and emotional resilience. That's influenced by several different factors, one of which is optimism. Optimism is partly genetically determined. And so, you know, there's so many different bits that fit together. But then the other thing with optimism is you can learn to be more optimistic. The evidence shows that you can. It's not necessarily easy. You don't just go, oh, I'm going to wake up and see the world through rose-tinted spectacles. But there is that ability to alter and change the way we see things. So I think, again, it's, it's not a black and white answer. It's incredibly complex. But I would say that the world we live in creates so many obstacles to the way our brain naturally operates. That, I think, um, amplifies the chances of becoming mentally unwell. And that's things from creating obstacle, obstacles in connecting with other people, uh, obstacles to reflection, um, all sorts of facets of how our brain evolved to operate are blocked or um, made more difficult by the world we live in. I've suffered from mental illnesses um, so for the last sort of, I'd say probably 10 years, I think. The thing that really works for me personally is keeping things planned, um, having achievable targets throughout the day, um, and kind of making things as simple as possible. What kind of coping techniques would you recommend to somebody to kind of help them in a similar situation? Okay, I'm going to really annoying, but again, <laughs> it's quite complex. Um, there was, so there are the, the simple things of getting outside as often as you can, being in nature, thinking about how did my brain evolve to be? So our brain hasn't evolved 50,000 years. So 50,000 years ago, we didn't spend all day staring at a screen inside. Um, mm. we, you know, so getting as close to that as we can is, is an easy way, if you like. I mean, it doesn't make it easy, but it gives you a direct route. So being outside, connecting with people, really connecting with people, listening, being with them, spending some time reflecting, which you know, would have been done around a fire in the evening, it's thousands of years ago, listening to stories, telling stories, um, being active, moving, not sitting still the whole time, trying to eat natural foods. Um, those things, then, then we, you know, we've learned loads of other stuff over even the last few thousand years with things like mindfulness and meditation. Uh, but the other thing I would say is, there are a lot of people trying to do great things, offering advice. There are also an awful lot of evidence-based techniques. So techniques that have been tried and tested and show that they're more likely to work. Now, of, a, of say, 100 evidence-based te techniques, you might find that 10 of those work really well for you. But if you're listening to everything that everyone's telling you, then it can become hard because you might find that the mm. hundred that you're looking at are not evidence-based. So they're less likely to work for you. So I'd say, listen to, listen to the experts, listen to the doctors, listen to the psychotherapists, listen to the psychologists, um, and then pick what works for you. Yeah, I, th I think that because there's a lot, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of people, I guess, like me that are just kind of trying to positively promote mental health and trying to kind of give people really simple 
helpful tips around dealing with anxiety, depression, and the, the, I guess the simpler forms of, of, of mental health. But yeah, it's, uh, it is going back to it, it is the, the experts, I guess, like yourself and doctors who actually know the biology behind it to make sure that what you're telling people is correct. And I think both so important. It's like, um, so for example, if we were to take it into a physical illness, so um, I don't know if you've seen, I can't remember his name. There's a, a rugby, ex-rugby player who's got motor neuron disease and there's a huge amount of uh, promotion on BBC Breakfast for uh, the, the, the disease basically and saying what it is and how, it, you know, how, how disabling it is. Now that's amazing. And that's equivalent of someone like yourself saying, let's raise awareness, let's show what this can look like, what it can feel like, show you what can work for me. But then you wouldn't go to a friend to help you cope with your motor neuron disease. You'd go to, mm. in terms of advice, you'd be going to the doctor or the physio or whoever first. And then, so I think it's just, it's keeping it in that context, it's thinking, I don't want to take away from all the brilliant, amazing, incredible work that people like you are doing. It's invaluable. It's needed. It's it's absolutely critical. And it's comforting to know for other people that someone else out there feels like this. And someone else has experienced this. It's, but it's this, this fine line of um, knowing when would you be asking a doctor and when would you be listening to a friend? I personally would never claim to be an expert in anything. I mean, I've, I've done mental health first aid training, but that is the extent of my knowledge. And I started this in, I think it was August, just because I was a bit like, I want to tell my story. And even since then, there's been so many people that have kind of reached out, started their own project or just started talking about mental health. And it's so nice to see like all of these people kind of, working towards the same thing and just it, it's just got people I think in particular this it sounds horrible but this global pandemic I think in a way has helped people to speak about their mental health and if they are suffering and have got a problem then they're happy to speak about it because of the current situation yeah I mean I think it's amazing from that perspective and and you know, t- to your point I'm I'm not a clinical psychologist so I'm not you know I I know about mental health and well-being within a certain context but I couldn't tell you I could tell you at a high level about uh, bipolar and schizophrenia I couldn't tell you more than that because that's not my level of expertise I I, I would have to talk to this person because I don't know and so I think you know that with anything we've all got our own level of knowledge and expertise and understanding of things so it's it's definitely not to take away from a story or a personal experience which is is far more powerful in many ways than you know someone offering clinical advice yeah I th- and I think with, with the whole Tory storytelling as- aspect it's it's quite relatable for a lot of people as well so I think for, for me personally before I started doing this I was a bit like oh I'm a bit alone in this journey and yeah I, I'm a kind of like lone soldier sort of thing and so many other people are suffering with the same illnesses and by talking about it and getting the word spread it's it does really help and I, I, I've it's helped me a lot just by speaking to other people that suffer from anxiety depression and 
and, learn, and learning about the other types of um, mental illnesses as well that's massively helped me too and it's, if you think about it it goes back to the natural way of operating storytelling sharing connecting and it's when we're in our worlds where we're operating as if everything's fine and really it's not then we can feel really isolated and lonely and that just exacerbates it and and it also can cause us to ruminate and to make things bigger than they are when we say them out loud it's a shared experience it makes more sense of things we, we we live off stories our brain lives off stories and it connects us so it's, it's more powerful to an extent than any other form of you know medicine since since the global pandemic began last march or march 2020 you've been offering frontline nhs workers help and advice to make sure their mental health is kind of looked after i guess so can you tell me a little bit more about that yeah, well, I just um so I've done work on emotional resilience with doctors and surgeons and nurses before, and I've spoken at um NHS conferences, and I'm really passionate about the health service. I always have been. I've grown up with a stepfather who's a doctor, a stepsister who's a doctor, another stepsister who's a nurse. And you know, I considered doing medicine myself, and I just I have I just I adore the health service. I adore all the people that work there. I just think they're amazing. And so when the pandemic sort of came to the fore at the beginning, I I just put a tweet out and said, if there are any frontline workers who want any help, then I'm happy to be that person. Um, and just sort of, I've written a paper with some doctors as well, uh, an, a, a sort of a journal paper on emotional resilience in doctors and surgeons and how that has an impact on patient outcomes and so there was a little bit of like I kind of know something about this so I'm not an expert I don't you know I don't work day to day with with those people and it's been it's been incredible because um I've known ahead of everything that's happened what's going to happen uh, because they've seen things coming the people that are on the front line people in ICU um, and I, I do not know how they are coping at the moment. I just, they're literally holding it together. So one, one ICU doctor I speak to, she, um, for example, usually has two nurses per ICU patient. At the moment, she has um, one nurse per three patients. Wow. And you just think, how, how do they do that? She's doing 16 hour shifts. Every time they turn off someone's ventilator, they need three people's opinion. And so even when you're not in there in the hospital, you're on the end of the phone and you're making decisions about whether someone lives or dies. And that's not what their job normally is because they normally are able to save more people. They're normally, and all the bits that go around it. So the human piece of being able to, explain to relatives and relatives being able to be there by the bedside that's all gone and that's really hard on the staff really really hard and I guess the role that you've played in that is, I guess has changed quite a lot over the course of the, the pandemic beginning in, in March up till this point what what kind of what would you say has changed the most so I think initially it was 
it's I mean you see the emotions changing you see the emotions going from sort of the all this it's the wrong word to use but there's the excitement of the pressure to start with it's awful it's horrible mm -hmm. we'll pull together we'll you know we'll do this then there's the knowing what's coming the second time and and that's that's not nice because they're tired already then and and they know what they're going to face and in some ways that helps because you know they've seen how it impacts patients and and there's more knowledge of what to expect which they'd have with other you know disorders diseases injuries that they see um but they're also just worn out i mean we're all worn out they're they're completely worn out so at the moment it just feels like propping people up to be honest and mm. it's literally trying to, to take off the top bit of the pressure so that they don't implode and they don't complain <laughs> they just they just talk and explain it's it must be so difficult for people on the front line because like you said they their role the role that they play in 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 the nhs system is it's just it's flipped on its head really isn't it i think because they they've gone from being a doctor or a nurse looking after patients and like you said they're not having to make these decisions of whether they they kind of end somebody's life and i guess the their mental health must be taking an an absolute battering on on kind of that side of it yeah i mean it worries me that that we'll see ptsd in them in the months to come um and that's been said by uh oh goodness i can't remember his name there's a guy who's uh i think he's the sort of the head of the royal college's uh medicine royal society of medicine he was um head of psychiatry um but he he basically he's done a lot of work over the years with ptsd survivors and he said we're going to have a huge you know, a huge epidemic in that sense for the for the frontline workers when we come out of this whenever there's been a, a government government announcement about the number of deaths of people suffering or have suffered with with the virus there's no statistics provided on the mental that the the effects that it's had on people's mental health so the number of kind of suicides and people that have kind of reached out for help professionally for their mental health um throughout the course of the pandemic is do you think there's a reason for that is it kind of to not panic people or is is there kind of something behind that do you think i just think they have i mean I don't know. I don't know, but I think they have so much information that they have to convey. And traditionally, that wouldn't be the first piece of information they look at. Well, unfortunately, mm. we know that. Um, it's not, it's just not what would be top of mind. Um, but there was a psychologist from a professor of psychology from St Andrews on Channel 4 News. Uh, last night it was last night we had the announcement wasn't it and he mm -hmm. said um, he said one thing he does think we need to do is focus on how amazing the population have been and rather than focusing on um, where people have broken the rules it's looking at actually where people have actually stuck with the rules because the vast majority of people have stuck with the rules um, and I think that I mean, it's different to what you're saying, I, I, but I think it would be 
it would be amazing if we could look at that and just say, actually, well done us. Look, look at what yeah. we've done. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was that the interview of Christian Guru Murphy, wasn't it? I think just after the announcement t- took place. Yes. Yeah. I saw, I saw that. Cause I was, I was, I was a bit like, yes, yeah, I, I do think people, well, I think everybody should, everybody that's stuck to the rules throughout this whole pandemic should be proud of themselves that they've done that. And for I mean I, I still know people that are kind of a bit like the virus doesn't exist it's not it's not a real thing and it's like yeah there's so many people that are out there like it's a conspiracy theory and but I've I mean the thing is there are people in ICU with COVID who are telling the doctors they don't have COVID because it doesn't exist really wow you just like what hello <laughs> I've seen a lot of kind of like support groups on like Instagram that are campaigning for this. It's a massive conspiracy conspiracy theory around the world, and that we should just carry on as, as normal. It's like um, you're not you're not looking around you and seeing what what's going on. It's yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's utterly amazing. But then it tells you like, oh, I don't know how easy and then I think then I start thinking back and I think well you know we would have had hundreds of years ago there are conspiracies about one thing or another weren't there but I suppose it's no different now but you'd think today that people might might not yeah yeah it's 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 a worldwide thing so it's it's going to be a pretty big conspiracy if it if it's <laughs> damn good unfortunately if, if only we could do other things on that scale yeah yeah so g- going back to kind of so this is the third lockdown that we're in now and i get my including myself people are starting to wonder when is this going to end and even when the vaccine does arrive for everybody and i think that i think with the government announcement that happened recently the the large majority of over 60 year olds will be receiving it by mid-February or potentially a little bit later than that what advice would you give to people that are really struggling in the situation they're in at the moment with their emotional mental well-being um try and try and look at the things you can control there's there's one thing um there's one exercise you you, you write down the three columns and you have on the left hand column the things that you can control and the right-hand column, the things that you can't control. Um, what your aim is, is to try and move some of the things from the right-hand column into the middle column. And also then to look at the things that really are out of your control and to try and leave them. So for example, you know, we all know watching the news over and over again is not helpful. So you could write down global economy. That's out of your control. Just to just try not to think about it. What time I get up in the morning, that's in my control. There might be something in there that you think, well, it's out of my control. I'm not sleeping very well at the moment, and that's out of my control. It's those sorts of things. You think, well, actually, how could I bring that within my control? So a bit like what you were saying earlier, where you've got a routine and structure to your day, that's bringing something within your control. So if it was sleep, it might be, um, and then I know sleep's not an easy thing. If you're not sleeping, it can feel like an impossibility, but you could look at, am I watching TV too late? Am I looking at my phone too late? Am I, you know, and all these things. And you think, actually, that's something I potentially could bring in my control. 
But when you're feeling totally overwhelmed, it's literally just look at the controllables and think, focus on the things that I can choose what I eat. I can choose to go for a walk. I can choose who I speak to on the phone in the evening, what I watch on TV and really savor those things. Another thing, so you'll have heard the, the three gratitude thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So what are the three things that I'm most grateful for? There's so much evidence that shows how powerful that is. So that's something else is at the end of each day, think, or at the beginning, what are the three things I'm most grateful for? And you might find yourself thinking, well, it's my family, it's my health, it's this, and it's the same every day. So try and go into the detail and think, I'm really grateful that my Tesco delivery turned up on time. Or I'm really grateful that I got a text from my best mate. And so think about those things, that will help. Another thing on the gratitude, which again, evidence has shown is three good things that will happen tomorrow. And that actually adds an element of hope, but it's also shown that it works. So mm -hmm. you might think tomorrow, what's the item, event, whatever is going to happen that I'm grateful for. And it might be that, oh, that episode of EastEnders is on, or it might be um, my new book might come in the post or just little things and then save that for a minute just really concentrate on it and savor it now it sounds so simple but that's what's so great about it and there's one other thing I would say is this quick easy simple evidence-based is name your emotions oh, okay so have a list of emotions and i I can put some somewhere that people can find or I can send them to you. I know it sounds silly, but you kind of sometimes think you can't name emotion. You have a big list of emotions and you stop yourself several times a day and you think, what am I feeling? And what that actually does at a neurological level is it takes that feeling from the limbic center of the brain where we're not, we're not processing it. It's just sort of sitting there bubbling, might be causing some nasty chemicals neurotransmitters to be not nasty but you know imbalances to happen and you take it into the prefrontal lobe of the brain where just by naming it you're processing it that's all you have to do you don't have to analyze it you don't have to think about it you just name it and then leave it now you might think at the time it has a tiny effect but if you do that several times a day it starts adding up and you can put all your name you know it could be i feel frustrated i feel annoyed I feel let down, I feel happy, I feel content. Um, but it's, it's also strengthening your ability of your brain to flip between the, those areas of the brain, which, which helps you to manage your emotions. So it's really powerful, but really simple. And I guess with that as well, it helps you identify what kind of it clearly identifies what you're feeling and when. So one day you could be like, I feel sad and emotional. And then later on the day, you might feel happy and elated or something like that. And you'd be like, oh, well, in this part of the day, this might be why I've been, I might have been sad and emotional. But then this happened and it made me happy and elated. So I'll, I'll, I'll do that particular activity again. And then it links back into everything else, I think. And it sounds so obvious, but we're so often unaware of things because we can't think about all sorts of things at once. We can only think about a certain amount of things at one time in our consciousness. So bringing it into consciousness is fantastic because it helps us, like you say, to see the patterns and see, oh, actually, 
you know, I'm always fed up after I've spoken to that person. Maybe I should speak to that person a bit less. <laughs> you know, things, <laughs> things like that. Or I'm always in a good mood when I come off the phone to my brother or sister. Yeah, and I only speak to them like once every fortnight. Why don't I speak to them more often? Yeah, that's, I, I really, I love looking at it in that way because then it's, it's like, this is a positive. I can do this to make me happy and I can then, put something in place to do it more which is great yeah and actually that even better than naming it to your point is just to write a little note so as to have a piece of paper and say 9am excuse my language but pissed off um 10am <laughs> feel quite good now and then you know you could look back and think why again why is that why is the pattern and and a similar another another thing I don't want to throw too many things into the mix is just journaling journaling is immensely powerful it doesn't you don't have to have a technique for journaling you just write things down write down what you're thinking write down what you're feeling and then again you can look back and you start seeing patterns and you think yeah I was I was fed up on I'm always fed up on Monday well for me I'm always fed up on Sunday and I really need to sort it out Uh, it's not just knowing it's actually doing something about it um and it goes back to when I was at school and I didn't like school and so I used to dread going Mm. to school on a Monday and that stuck with me now Uh, but I'm I should be especially given what I do I should address that but you know it's knowing and then when you know you can do something if you don't know, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I get that Sunday feeling as well. I, I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people, it gets to probably about five, six o'clock in the evening. They're like, oh, shit, I've got work tomorrow. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, I think it's an ongoing theme through people's lives, I think. But it's, l- it's l- funny, though, isn't it? Because I do what I absolutely love. Um, but yeah, I still get it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's 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 well it's a psychological thing I guess but yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and so for people that so for people that aren't we're not 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 able to do those things but people who might be isolated in this situation where there are a lot of isolated people to to be I guess more elderly people people that are single and live on their own um, and they might be struggling how would how would we look after those sort of people kind of that are in those particular situations that might be those isolated people you know it's funny because I was before lockdown I was really anti-social media but I've read up loads more about it um, on the evidence and for people who are isolated or on their own social media not scrolling but looking at connecting actually connecting with people so having a conversation or not just on comments I mean it kind of makes sense again it's this natural thing but direct messaging talking to people reaching out to people following people that have really positive messaging um, who are inclusive as if if you if you're looking at social media it makes you feel bad stop following that thing stop following that person simple as that um, Speak to people on the phone, not over Zoom. I mean, it's fine to do it over Zoom, FaceTime, but especially if it's grandkids, actually, that's really important. But over the phone is really nurturing because when we're staring at a screen, it's very unnatural because we're looking at basically something that's emitting light at us and trying really hard to concentrate on the nuances that we would hear more naturally if we're just listening on the phone. So speak to people on the phone, 
um, read because reading can make you feel like, especially if it's positive stories, it can make you feel like you're with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think, you know, it's all of our responsibility to reach out to other people. If we think someone's on their own, they're lonely, they might not be coping. Or even if they are coping, it's just checking in and going, hello, how are you thinking about you? Because actually, you know, a lot of the time you think about someone and you don't actually do anything about it. It's that whole yeah, thinking, yeah. doing thing it's like yeah someone might text you I've been thinking about you and you think well yeah why didn't I text them (laughs) so it's just it's just doing it and my little trick that I have and this is a bit geeky and it is just me is I write a list of friends at the beginning of every week who I know are struggling and when I'm really really busy I make sure that I'm speaking to it I'm speaking to each one of them at least you know every couple of days whether it's texts or whatever but I write it on my to-do list which is really geeky isn't it but I'll be like oh you know I haven't got a friend called Jemima but Jemima's having a really bad time at the moment right I'll I'll try and touch in with her on Monday and Thursday and Sunday I don't think that's geeky I think that's sensible because I well so I I do the same with my granddad so my granddad lives on his own and he he's got family around him but obviously because he's elderly he can't go and see people and people can't visit him um, and he literally the only the only contact that he gets is it, he'll go down the news agent and get a newspaper but he gets his shopping brought to him by my by my uncle and I always make sure that I well I, I don't write it down but I have a note in my head to go right granddad's on his own I'm going to give him a ring this week check he's okay check he's getting on okay make sure he's healthy is there anything I can do to help and I think that I think it's a good way to look at that for everybody that's probably struggling even if they're not elderly if if, if they're even if they're showing signs that they're okay I think it's still important to check in with those around you I think yeah and and it's weird because we can we really can forget the people that we care about most not intentionally and not because we're uncaring but just because we're all so busy even in lockdown we're all so busy um so we kind of I mean, for me I have to write things down my husband takes the mickey out of me the whole time because I write my list um but if I don't write if I don't write a list I don't do anything I mean of course I do things but you know I don't get things yeah, done yeah really important it's my way of just organizing myself yeah I think it's it's important to write lists because then I guess for me if I write a list of even if they're really really simple things and, it's, and bring it back to the mental health aspect again. If I've got a list of, say, like you said, three things that you want to achieve of that day, or even one thing that you want to achieve from that day, once you've ticked that off the list, it makes you feel a little bit better in yourself. Um, yeah. And it gives you a little positive boost. So I think that list list writing is a very positive thing. Yeah, and, and actually, to that point, if I'm being geeky, so we, we know that we get dopamine release from... Um, social media but that's out of our control so uh how many likes we get isn't really in our control we don't know how many people will see a post because it depends on the algorithms and blah 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 blah. so look at the things that are in your control that you can get those little boosts from and that might be ticking things off a list or it might be reading a book or it might be getting some fresh air and, and even having a list of your favorite little things to do and think have i done them today so you're feeling fed up at the end of the day and think oh I haven't had a hot chocolate today I'll have a hot chocolate or you know just those little things and then tick that off and you've not only enjoyed the hot chocolate and got a boost from that but you've got a boost from ticking it off your list 
I think at the very beginning of of the whole pandemic, I I was quite I'd, it, that everything about the whole pandemic made me anxious. That so that we had a holiday that was cancelled. I had to work from home, which I I wasn't used to before. Now um, I couldn't see friends and f- family, which was a, the classic case for everybody. And I think throughout lockdown, it, you I think everybody's learned to adapt to those those situations and surroundings and like going back to what you said about being busy and constantly busy I th- I think I'm busier now in lockdown than I'm more productive than what I was when I was in the office working and it's a, it's a really strange thing because um I've I've found so many things to do to fill my spare time with it's unbelievable <laughs> really yeah I think then the danger is that we don't have enough time to reflect and just be and to think um I mean yeah. we made the silly mistake of getting a puppy we've already got one oh. dog oh, one okay. dog and children so we just thought you know why not have another one <laughs> we um we moved house two weeks ago so oh, wow. um yeah that was uh, there was a lot going on so it's like Christmas New Year and then the house move a week is 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 a week before Christmas. So we just it's been manic. So that's that's filled my time quite nicely over the last couple of weeks. That but, must have done. That yeah, must have done. Yeah. That that's pretty immense moving near Christmas. But but then on the again on the flip side of that, we wouldn't have chosen to move had we not had a global pandemic. So it made us realise that we don't we, we we didn't dislike the house we lived in, but we had neighbours. We had neighbours that we didn't that were, that were quite noisy, and we were a bit like the noise makes us more anxious. And it, we want to live in a quiet house where we can just chill out and just read a book or listen to some music without other surrounding noises taking place. So we've moved into a more like secluded road, and we wouldn't have made that decision had we not had a global pandemic. So it's, I, I think there is a lot of it's horrible to say there's a lot of silver linings I think and I think it's about not feeling guilty about recognizing that as well because I think sometimes like you say you kind of feel like oh I shouldn't say that because it's pandemic and there are people that suffer it's you know gloating about it you're not gloating about it I think that's one thing you don't want to go around going well I learned five languages (laughs) But, but thinking about it for yourself and thinking what are the good things that have come out of this is really really helpful and I think it goes back to even I've spoken to a lot of people that have got children and, it, and they've all said that it's time spent with their children that they're never, ever going to have the opportunities to have again. And I don't know how thin that's wearing now because they've spent too much time with their kids. But I, I do remember, in the, particularly in the summer, that people were like, this is a really great time to spend with kids, especially younger children, because you get to see them as they're growing up and having that it's, it's kind of irreplaceable time isn't it when they're at a young age and um yeah I I think that's a real positive thing as well I do too I said actually at dinner the other night with my family so I've got two daughters who are eight and 14 and oh, okay. I, I said um do you know what I was no there's no one I would prefer to be locked down with and and they all laughed and said, "Well, I hope so. <laughs> you know, I hope not. I hope not. I mean, I hope not. But you know, we drive each other mad sometimes. Like I think every family does. But I've 
absolutely savoured, particularly, well, both of them, because, you know, my 13-year-old, who's just turned 14, I wouldn't be seeing much of her if it wasn't for lockdown, because she's a teenager. And that's really hard on her, but it's been lovely having her here. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's the same with me and my wife, because it's just myself and my wife, and... We, I mean, we we do spend a lot of time together anyway, but it's forced us to spend more time together, and like we've learned to do. So, I think we we did the classic thing of at the start of lockdown doing lots of quizzes and stuff like that, and then now we've we will do some decorating together and stuff like. So it's it is kind of it's it does push people closer together, I think, in a way, and that's I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, and I actually after the first lockdown, and it's probably shows that I'm cynic in some ways I was pleasantly surprised at how many families it had brought them closer together rather than pushing them apart you know if someone had asked me to predict it beforehand I would have said I imagine it's going to break up a lot of families but I mean it just anecdotal that's not what I've seen I've seen people just got closer together yeah which is real yeah which is definitely positive what you're doing and people like you is brilliant it's amazing it we need the collective voice to change the way these things are seen and talked about and understood um and so thank you i really enjoy doing it i enjoy spreading the words of positivity and again i wouldn't have done this had we not had the global pandemic because i wouldn't have I, well, I, I think I've said it on other podcasts, but I, I wouldn't have had the courage to talk about my own mental illnesses, and encourage others to do the same because I didn't think that was an option. But I think because I got trapped in my house and thought, well, nobody's going to listen to this, and they have. It's, it's kind of helped me grow as a person because it's, I don't know, it's 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 helped me see mental health as a more positive thing. But in turn, it's also helped other people as well. So it's it's been a really roller coaster journey so far. I think sounds like it's been immensely powerful though as well. Yeah, yeah, it has. It's um, I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's personally, selfishly, it's really, really helped me. But the impact that it's had on other people reaching out to me on the back of that has been, well, it's, it's been lovely for me because I've been a bit like, oh wow, I'm 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 actually doing something good. That's, it's it's really so there's one um really quick thing so I it's a long story but I met this guy who writes the UN happiness report he's the lead editor for the UN happiness report and he was a professor of economics before and he's he's retired now I met him in Canada on an island very strange but we we talked <laughs> for five hours and he he was you know, what he's shown in the world, the UN happiness report, is how pro-social behaviour is good for the economy. So the sort of behaviour you're talking about where you're helping other people. Helping, we're meant to help other people. It's that's, that's how we're made. Oh, there's a brilliant study. I won't go on about it now, but another amazing man I met who is a professor of, wait, he's professor of brain sciences and psychiatry at UCLA in California and I was lucky enough to meet him in California um, <laughs> which was great but he um he's done loads of research on the brain and he's actually 
shown that we are naturally more altruistic so we're more naturally giving than we are selfish so you know there's been a debate for the centuries over this and he's shown you know obviously we need to replicate 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 but there's more and more evidence showing that we're actually not selfish we're selfless as a species and I think that's really reassuring and it, it it's I think maybe another thing that's come out of the pandemic is people have realized the good in them and how that feels and hopefully hopefully we'll can I mean I know you'll continue with all that afterwards but hopefully as a society we'll start moving more towards that moving forward I, th- I think the selfless thing as well is it's it's really powerful because it's especially during the pandemic it's putting other people first again going back to the government announcements the, the people the majority of the people that are respecting the government announcements and sticking to the rules they're essentially putting other people first by I guess obeying those rules for the for the health of other for themselves and for most other people. So I think that's again praising <laughs> praising the people of the nation again. I think that's really commendable as as, as a collective kind of country world. I don't I don't really yeah. know, but it's. I think it's something to really celebrate. I mean, one thing if I think about what I when I'm working with leaders in organizations one thing that's immensely powerful is celebrating successes and it's saying to people who work for an organization whenever they've done something well well done that's amazing that's brilliant we've done x y and z look yay us and that's what we should be doing you know at a national global level is saying hey yay well done us aren't we great really enjoyed talking to you really enjoyed talking to you and um stay in touch as well won't you yeah i will do yeah no thank you so much for coming on because um yeah again i wouldn't have met you had this not happened so it's been again a really positive thing and again i wouldn't have had the, the old me wouldn't have even had the courage to reach out in the first place so it's um yeah it's it's been a great thing, I think. Well, let's stay in touch and um, I look forward to seeing what you do with the new you. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. <laughs> Thank you, Fiona. Have a good Thank evening you, and um, I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, take care, Luke. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Fiona for coming on the stress sessions. It was really great to find out about a topic that I knew absolutely nothing about. I learned a lot and I hope you did too. I know I always end on the same note every week, but I feel it's so important for us to all talk about our mental health, particularly if we're suffering from a mental illness. There's so many great charities and organisations out there that can help you if you're in need. So please don't be afraid to reach out for help and speak to someone. If you're not talking, then I've been in your shoes before. Although we're two different people, I slightly know how you're feeling. I bottled it all up and my mental illness gradually got worse and worse until I eventually had to seek help. Talk, always talk, whether that's to a friend, a family member or a work colleague. I've included a link to some really helpful numbers in case you ever need them. And have a great week. Don't be afraid to reach out if you need a little chat. My Instagram DMs are always open. So yeah, thank you. Bye.